Hello, everyone. This is Saqib Ali hosting the show, welcoming you to another episode of uh, Cricket with an Accent. And the conversation will be heavily focused on the big series that's about to start in the span of, say, five days. India's in Australia. The first pink ball test is coming. And uh, there are a lot of narratives floating around and a lot of facts floating around whenever this kind of a series gets underway. So help me break down some of, uh, some of my questions and observations is a senior Australian journalist. Uh, Malcolm Knox. The name is pretty familiar if you follow or read about cricket. So here we go. Welcome to the show, Malcolm. Thanks, uh, Thanks for having me. No, no, honor is, is, uh, and pleasure is all mine here because uh, your body of work speaks for itself. But today the focus will be the ongoing the cricket series uh, in Australia uh, where Virat Kohli is going to play the first test and then Ajinkya Rahane looks like will be leading India uh, for the remaining three tests. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of the test matches, uh, for the listening base here, uh, please uh, mention you know how you became a cricket writer. What's the backstory? And yeah, uh, how how long have you been doing this? I know you are a pretty prolific writer in in your regard, and you've written for different publications. So just unpack it uh, the yeah, way you feel yeah. is more appropriate. I, I've had two. Since as a cricket writer, accident. Um, the first was um, in the mid 1990s when I was about 30 years old and quite new uh, to journalism. When uh, at the Sydney Morning Herald, our long-term cricket writer Phil Wilkins retired, and um, the newspaper was trying to find a replacement among quite high-profile. Uh, English cricket writers um, and were willing to do so. Uh, they couldn't get anybody to come to Australia um, to, to start up again. And they found themselves in a situation where the Australian team was leaving on a tour of Sri Lanka. Um, it was a one-day tour uh, lasting about three weeks, um, a one-day cricket-only tour, and they didn't have a cricket writer. And at the very last minute, the editor-in-chief was literally looking around the office um, uh, for a cricket writer and one of his senior colleagues pointed to me and said, oh, that young guy there knows a bit about cricket. Why not give him a go? Um, and that was, that was how it happened. The editor-in-chief wasn't, wasn't very pleased about it, um, but uh, it turned out okay and later, later he claimed all the credit for it. Uh, three and a half years as um, chief cricket writer for the Sydney Morning Herald, and uh, this was from 1996 until 2000. I toured Sri Lanka, South Africa, India, um, and the West Indies, um, as well as covering the um, the Australian summers. Um, but after three and a half years, I wanted to do different things, and I was a bit young to, to dedicate my career to 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 being a uh, so I gave it up. Um, I then spent uh, the best part of twelve years out of cricket journalism, out of sports journalism. Um, uh, I did occasional pieces and worked on a couple of books. Um, in two thousand and eleven, um, uh, Peter Roebuck columnists at the Sydney Morning Herald died in South Africa and again um, it was something that uh, the hierarchy of the newspaper were looking 
for a long-term replacement for Peter and I said no um, I, I wasn't interested in doing it and um, they said okay and uh, they couldn't find anybody else they needed an emergency stop and, um, they asked me if I could go to the next test match um, which was in Brisbane uh, in 2011 so as a stopgap to, to help the paper out um, and I feel like I've been the permanent stopgap replacement while they're waiting to find a long-term replacement ever since. No, f- fair enough. So, so then that means cricket is not the major focus of your writing ecosystem, but uh, how often you get to do it if you're not replacing someone? Is it something, uh, is something you call the shots or it's more like assignment basis? Yes, it's more of an assignment basis. We we have a staff of um, cricket reporters who will uh, follow the the Australian team mainly and, and write news on a daily basis. Um, and then I'm I'm brought in just for the major um, major uh, series in Australia, um, uh, which is really the focus is still on Test cricket. Um, and also I do the occasional overseas tour. So in, in that um, uh, period since 2011, uh, I've done a couple of overseas tours to um, uh, to England, I did the Ashes series in 2013 and in 2019. Uh, and I did go over for the IPL uh, once in its, in its early days. Um, that wasn't really to cover the IPL, but it was to work um, with Adam Gilchrist on a book he was doing at the time. Sure. So on your watch as a cricket journalist, which goes back to 90s, uh, where does cricket fall in the landscape of all sports in Australia? Uh, because, you know, going, growing up in India, we thought everybody's as excited about cricket as we are in India. But I'm sure then I moved to US and I saw there's like a whole variety of different sports uh, and especially in the U.S. market, there's a big four sports and sports like tennis are second tier. So where does cricket fit uh, in uh, in the whole sporting pantheon of Australia? And is Steve Smith recognised if he enters a restaurant anywhere in Australia? That, that's a very good question. And it's a, a, an interesting question for us. I think just giving my um, subjective point of view, cricket cricket does not occupy the central place in Australian popular culture that it did up until probably the early 2000s. Um, Steve Smith is not a recognisable national figure in the way that um, Ian Chappell or Dennis Lilly or Alan Border um, uh, or, or Steve Waugh were. Um, and... Uh, uh, that is just because the the, the culture has changed. We're, we're less of a um, uh, you know monocultural country, if you can put it that way. Um, and cricket cricket is jostling um, among many other uh, interests of Australians, non-sporting is primarily um, as the the generalship Australia has has dropped as a as a um, uh, per capita, uh, measured per capita. However, within the sports landscape, um, so you know, sports in general are shrinking in their interest in Australia. But within the sports landscape, cricket in in recent years, 
I think the reason for that is um, uh, post-digital media, we, um, we understand very much more about the numbers of people watching different sports. And um, the result of that has been a bit of a, a winner-take-all um, approach of media organisations and of advertisers, where um, once they've identified who's number one, they will throw more and more um, at number one. So that if you're number one, uh, you get to be number one by a bigger and bigger margin as each year goes by. And um, in Australia, in the summer months, um, cricket is definitely number one and has become, to summarise and answer to your question, um, no, cricket doesn't dominate the culture, the, the broader culture, the way it used to. Um, but cricket uh, dominates the sporting culture um, possibly as much as it ever has. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting response, especially uh, you had me thinking when you said Steve Smith is not recognisable as a central sporting figure, which is fine. I accept that, I mean, from far. But then you said not in the same mold as Alan Border or you know, some of the other names like Steve Waugh, even Shane Vaughan, which is the name you didn't take. So, so what has caused that? And mm-hmm. secondly, uh, more importantly, does that also affect the talent pool of young Australians coming up? Because it was not too long ago when we would see the Australian side, people break into their early 30s and they were still world-class cricketers. Now, on the other hand, India's bench is so deep. Yeah. India can pretty much put two world-class teams. Uh, I'm not saying they will win all the time, but you know, the, the batting depth is just immense. But if you look at Australia, yeah, now they have the young, you know, there's some young names coming. But uh, uh, elaborate on that, you know, what has happened to the talent pool? Is that in tandem to what you said, that cricket has lost some of its aura or some of its appeal in the last, you know, decade or so? Yeah, um, I, I think um, it's pretty clear in Australia that um, there's been a drive towards specialisation um, in elite sports. Um, and cricket's competitors in, in that sense are the football codes, um, mainly Australian rules, um, also rugby union, rugby league, um, and uh, football, round ball football. Uh, in times past, um, it, was, it was common for a very talented young Australian sports person to play multiple sports um, and they would play football in, in summer, uh, football in winter, cricket in summer. Um, the brothers footballers um, who have also been Australian cricketers and uh, up until probably uh, 15, 20 years ago it was possible for a young person to compete at an elite level up until about age 18, 19. Uh, when they would have to choose which sport. What has changed very suddenly and profoundly in Australia is that these um, top young clients um, are forced to choose at age 15, 16, and, and choose um, uh, irrevocably. So, you know, giving up cricket in order to play Aussie rules football because they get a contract at a young age. Uh, or give up the other to, to, to play cricket. So that has resulted immediately in a, a slimming down of the talent pool. Um, the other effect on the, on the, the broader 
important, Paul, and this goes back to the first part of your question about the changing cricket in our culture, is that in Australia, men's cricket, men used to play uh, until quite an advanced age. Commonly, men would play up until up until their forties um, at you know low level club cricket. Uh, the the culture the culture has changed where where people um, don't allow uh, you know families aren't as tolerant for men disappearing for the entire weekend to play cricket. Um, uh, the the nature of leisure in Australia has changed uh, so that people work a lot more on weekends and their their working is more uh, modular than um, it used to be, which was a strict you know Monday to Friday, and then you could play cricket um, all weekend. So relations between men and women um, and and family life are very very different now um, from uh, the way they they were uh, up until of a century ago. All right, so let's uh, make a quick segue into the first pink ball test that's coming up. So leading into that, Australia has quite, they were looking favourites coming in. Now David Warner's injury has ruled him out and the young hopeful Will uh, Bukowski, that's how we say the name, uh, has been uh, ruled out due to a concussion. And you wrote an article, which uh, I'm sure you've heard some feedback, so... You want to do away with the bouncer. I mean, I see, I read it, it's pretty interesting. And, you know, you make an argument while, you know, it's the only sport where you, you're allowed to go after someone. But then you also put the other side of the argument. It's already a batting-dominated game. And you take the bouncer away in the test match, you're pretty much making it more of an advantage to the batsman over the fast bowler. So what made you arrive at this uh, suggestion? And what kind of responses have you met from the cricket purist? In your in your life, since you wrote that piece. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not all of the, the um, reaction, uh, but I would imagine uh, it, it would be a fairly divisive issue, um, and uh, you know, many people would say that uh, you know batsmen have just got to get better at at uh, evading bounces if they don't want to get hit in the head. Um, uh, and uh, it would, it, it would, as you say, be a, um, uh, a profound change in the game in disadvantaging um, the bowling. And you know, I, I agree with all of that. I don't want to see the the bouncer <clears throat> go. Um, uh, I, you know, when we look back to to the great cricketing moments, and even today, when we when you see the challenge of a batsman facing a fast bowler um, who is able to uh, use the bouncer to, to good effect, and it's, it's a great thing for cricket. Um, I, I'm not really pushing an opinion so much as saying that as our knowledge grows, um, we have to adapt to that knowledge and the knowledge we're getting um, in the football codes about the effects of repeated long-term concussion is quite horrifying. And and football codes are, again, unwillingly and to the detriment of their game as a special in some ways, having to make adaptations. Um, this is a conversation that is looming for cricket. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not standing on a soapbox saying... 
the bouncer has to go, I'm saying that cricket must deal with this um, and and banning the bouncer might be one ultimate result. Um, but cricket, cricket can't run from the problem because otherwise it will have um, not only uh, legal ramifications, um, it, it will have to face the human ramifications of uh, people who have suffered repeated concussions um, uh, uh, encountering very serious mental health problems through their lives. And the, the Will Pukowski matter here has brought that into focus, um, which I think will accelerate the reckoning um, of the game um, with the bouncer. And if, if helmet technology can't be in, to the point where um, can't suffer a concussion from being hit by a cricket ball, um, it's, it's hard to see. Uh, again, this is not something I say willingly. Um, to see the bouncer still being in the game uh, in, in the future. No, definitely. And uh, I read the whole piece and I, you, you presented both sides and, you know, with your case. And I'll also put the article in the show notes when I publish the podcast. So, so this opening dilemma now uh, with no Warner and uh, so where, where does this uh, give India? Does this give India hope in your view? Because a lot of people are predicting Australia's strong favourites, you know, even in, in my circles, 3-0, 4-0 Australia. Uh, I, I've heard this kind of prediction. So where, where does this leave the first test now? And that's the only test Virat Kohli is going to be playing. So where do you see the pink ball yeah. battle? Yeah, and um, uh, look, I've watched India bowl uh, with the pink ball in the, um, the the tour match they're playing at the moment at the Sydney Cricket Ground, and um, they're they're fast seen as if they're they're coming into form. We know that that Bumrah and Mohammad Shami are you know absolutely top top shelf fast bowlers um, who will exploit uh, the pink ball very well. Um, and yes, Australia Australia will be opening, um, I, I assume, with Joe Burns and Marcus Harris, uh, which is not a combination that would fill Australians with much confidence against that quality fast bowling. Um, Australia's middle order had a very, very good year last year. Um, they, they do nearly always perform well on home pitches. And uh, Manas Labashain, um, Travis Head, Matthew Wade, and of course Steve Smith um, are a very strong um, uh, middle order. So we don't expect Australia's openers to last. Uh, you know, it's not exactly going to be Langer and Hayden, um, but it'll. It, I think it, it brings the series back much closer to a closer to a 50-50 proposition. Sure. And, uh, and Virat Kohli, again, you know, what a player he is and uh, his growth has been, you know, on, a, on everybody's watch and he became, you know, one of the best players in the game. Uh, let me ask you a narrative question. Not too long ago in 2014 when MS Dhoni gave the captaincy up during, I think, the Test Series, Virat Kohli was not getting booed all the time, but he was the in-your-face kind of figure in Australian players and public saw him as, uh, you know, not a typical Indian presence out there. 
And now, six years later, of course, he's a world champion batsman. A uh, lot of talk, a lot of articles, a lot of media stories are again around Virat Kohli, deservingly so. So how do you see this total turnaround? And some of the Indian fans, you know, on Twitter think, this is a series between India and Australia. You know, the focus is on Kohli just playing the first test and leaving. So what, what's your take on that? I know you wrote an article about him taking the paternity leave, but yeah. just uh, yeah. Kohli full circle, according to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, my... my reading of it is that Kohli is um, an extremely popular cricketer in Australia. Um, he, uh, because he's not, um, he doesn't fit into that more, uh, if you like, passive uh, on-field demeanour of Indian leaders in the past has only enhanced his reputation in Australia. And the, the fact that he might be booed uh, by Australian crowds is actually a, a sign of uh, of love and respect, um, uh, and it should be seen uh, by him and by Indian people as a as a compliment uh, being paid to him, um, uh, because you know it's 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 a tradition for Australians to try to engage with uh, their their kind of favourite villain, um, but he is a favourite villain, and 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 also of course people people love the way in which he bats and the quality of his batting. So there shouldn't be any sake about the degree um, of affection with which uh, Coley is held in Australia. And because of that, he's admired so much and, and, and most people want to see a good uh, series between the, the two best teams in the world. There has been a lot of disappointment around um, his uh, decision to go home. Uh, I, I have it's, it's not really for me to say, but um, uh, I think if he says that is the best course of action for um, for his family, then, you know, he's a free man. He should do that. And um, he uh, deserves applause for uh, having his priorities. Um, sure. It, it will. It will detract from the series uh, after he leaves and, and that's a great shame that um uh, you know we can't control um we can't control things like uh, the arrival of a new life in the world and and we can't control the restrictions around the um covid nine that, that stop a person coming in and out of the country as quickly as they would have previously sure of course this is not your normal year in any any regard uh, be it sports or life in general so Virat Kohli will leave, as we know, after the first test, and Rohit Sharma is, is been, has been given the clearance to join the Indian team, uh, provided you know uh, the quarantine process, and he should be a fit available for selection for the last two tests. So with the Indian batting order and with the Australian fast bowlers, what are some of the matchups that the fans will look forward to, and are there any particular matchups that excite you? Well, two years ago, Coley didn't actually uh, score many runs in the series that India won here. He he made a century in Perth, uh, but that was it. The dominant Indian batsman was was Pujara, and uh, I think again Pujara um, holds the key to India's competitiveness in the series. If he if he has another good series against the same bowlers, and you know he did it against the, the best Australian bowling attack. Uh, two years ago, um, we're going to have a terrific 
Netflix series. So Pujara, um, I think the key to the series, if he has another um, uh, good series uh, as he did last time, it, it, India will be very competitive. Um, so as a matchup, Pujara um, uh, up against Hazelwood, Cummins, uh, Stark, Pattinson, Nathan Lyon um, will really be the key, I would say. Um, we would like, I think, um, to see uh, Rahane uh, bat well, um, especially once Kohli has left. Um, uh, India's lower middle order, you know, can be held together by um, Rahane. Uh, on the other side, the, the, I think the, the really fascinating battle is um, Manas Labashain uh, against the Indian pace bowling, especially Jasper Bumrah. Um, Labashain has just had such an astonishing rise from a, uh, you know, not not a particularly um, uh, outstanding first class uh, cricketer two years ago to somebody who now, you know, stamped himself as one of the best test batsmen in the world. Is that or is it something he can sustain uh, against the best opposition? Um, uh, that will be the question that we're that we're really eagerly anticipating. I, I think what what tends to happen um, when the players at home is that very often their their top order struggles um, and and their leading players fall in and out of form manage to, to fight their way out of trouble. Uh, so the batting performances of people like Matthew Wade, Tim Payne, uh, Patrick Cummins, um, and others, very often, you know, you know, these guys add 150, 200 runs for the last five wickets, um, whereas India put on 50 runs for the last five wickets. Um, so I think the, the contribution of lower order batting is also going to be decisive for the series. Sure. And uh, let's stick with the pink ball test. Australia has a pretty decent record, actually a very good record at the pink ball level. And this is going to be, I think, India's first test, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, the, at the pink ball level. So how do you see the two sides measure up there? And secondly, do you see... Kohli, Rahane, sorry, Kohli, Pujara, uh, not playing the warm-up game. You think that's a tactical miss, or you think that's uh, India knows what they're doing at that point? Yeah, I'd, I would hope that they would know. Um, uh, the, the players who have um, uh, performed certainly in the second innings in this match uh, would give India a lot of heart because they're, they're they're up against a pretty good Australia A attack. Um, it'll be interesting, why not see? Because the big ball. The pink ball match um, in Adelaide uh, has really uh, changed the um, the conception of the Adelaide Test match. It was always thought of as a Test match which favoured the batsmen. Very very good batting wicket. You know, beautiful um, uh, ground for batting on. Uh, and uh, you know, one of the one of the great Test matches at Adelaide was uh, in 2014-15 when we saw uh, marvellous batting, including from Vera Kohli scoring scoring two centuries, and um, Steve Smith, Michael Clarke, David Warner. Um, the pink ball Test match since then has been much more um, to the bowl, uh, the the fast bowlers. 
tactics around, uh, you know, the timing of the new ball with the twilight hours um, have brought in a whole new matrix of um, uh, possibilities for captains uh, to try to manipulate. Um, and the Australians have had a few years now to, to adapt to that, um, that, those tactical demands. Um, and it'll be the, the tactical discussions that trouble India um, every bit as much as the, the technical matter of, uh, you know, batting against a new ball um, uh, in the twilight. Another uh, off-the-field topic that was doing circles in the Australian press was Steve Smith's, you know, captaincy issues. Would he be, you know, reassigned as captain at some point? And uh, frankly speaking, that seemed like a distraction. With the home season already in the first stretch, India is here for a long, I mean, four, uh, four test series. What, what do you think of that, that whole media narrative? And he was asked about that. Justin Langer was asked about that. That could that kind of stuff should be at the back burner, at least in the off season. What's your take? Yeah, on that? yeah, I, I agree with you. It is a distraction. Um, it, I don't think it'll be a factor in the test matches because Tim Payne will be captain, and if he uh, can't play. Patrick Cummins will be captain. Um, in one day, as because uh, uh, a number of possible captains. Uh, Candidates were uh, out of action, um, and so um, Smith entered the conversation again. It's it's a bit of a, a running score for Australian cricket because there are many people who have the very strong view that Steve Smith should never hold a leadership position. There are other people like me who say he he did his punishment. Um, he served the time, and uh, that is finished now, and so he should be assessed. Um, as a potential captain, uh, just as fairly as anybody else should be. Um, it's something that still rouses great passion uh, within the Australian community. And there, there are many people who, who just can't forgive um, Steve Smith for his role um, in, in the ball tampering scandal. But it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be a factor at all in, in this coming test series. Yeah, let's turn Smith. I mean, uh, I know it's old news. He served his time. He's been back for more than a year now. Uh, but uh, has that impacted the popularity of the sport? Or, I mean, people were that hurt or that was just an isolated incident? And, you know, when it comes to Smith, like you said, some purists or some, some, some people who have the old school view are not going to pardon him that easy. But uh, what did that do? Do you think that was a knee-jerk reaction because Aussie pride was hurt? Now you look back. Uh, it became like a national issue. And with all due respect, I mean, from outside, everybody thought it was a little harsh blow to Steve Smith and Warner, especially the, the way they broke down in front of the press. They, of course, they owned it uh, in the end and they served their time. But uh, it, it was a very different chapter. Even you want to go revisit that press conference sometime on YouTube, it's hard to watch. Look, so we, maybe, maybe, you have, can an, um, maybe you can answer this from a fan's point of view because you're a fan too at heart. So how do you, you know, yeah. look back at that incident and then what followed? I know it's old news, but since I have you here, we can talk about that. Yeah, look, it was, um, it, it was obviously a crushing disappointment um, to see our um, test cricketers uh, be uh, involved in, in 
um, an act of cheating and there was no, no other way of putting it. There's a funny thing going on in Australia, which is, and we have also had um, an inquiry over the last few years into war crimes committed in Afghanistan and um, these are still ongoing, but uh, a number of elite soldiers um, are going to be prosecuted for committing war crimes. And so there's, within Australia, there's, there are two different reactions that happen, one, one after the other. The first reaction is, is horror and um, disappointment and all of the, um, you know, the negatives coming to terms with what our um, uh, most admired, some of our most admired people have done. And then the next reaction is a kind of a... Um, a, a self-congratulatory or self-cleansing response of, well, at least we're doing something about it. And you hear a lot of people when they talk about ball tampering, as they do about the war crimes inquiry, saying, well, you know, it's, it's tough for Australians to see this happening, but other countries are not doing this. And um, we should um, take some solace in the fact that we are coming down hard on it and we are holding people accountable for what they've done. Um, and, and that byplay of emotions um, has sort of unwound over the last two years with the, with the ball tampering thing where, um, you know, Aliens can take a bit of pride in the fact that they, you know, they rubbed Steve Smith out and David Warner and, and Cameron Bancroft. Um, on the other hand, Steve Smith is still an individual and um, I think deserves to be able to climb out from under the, the, um, the, the weight of, um, of those consequences. Um, and the, the other component, though, as a fan, um, you ask me as a fan, it's uh, I enjoy Steve Smith's batting um, as much as anybody I've enjoyed in the last 20 years. And um, I'd hate to see the captaincy coming back to him and kind of crushing crushing him with responsibility uh, and uh, depriving us of a few more years of his batting talents. So as a, as a purely as a cricket fan of his batting, I'm quite for him not to be captain um, because I think he's, he's freer to bat. Um, without the responsibility, but from a, from a moral ethical point of view, I have no problem with him being captain again. Sure. Again, a narrative question: uh, Can if that doesn't happen, can we ever see a bowling fast bowling captain in Australia, say Pat Cummins? Because <laughs> India and Pakistan have had many yeah. bowling captains. Yeah. Australia, you know, I don't know when was the last time. Uh, not on my watch. It's been Border. Waugh, Taylor, Ponting. Shane Vaughan should have been captain, but that's a different discussion. And now uh, Michael Clark and Steve Smith and yeah, Tim yeah. Payne. <laughs> so is yeah, that... Ray Lindwell, Ray, Lindwell got one, Ray Lindwell got one test as captain. Uh, uh, look, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine just because of the, the strain on swallowed bodies. Um, uh, hard to imagine him being able over the long term to... to uh, uh, be available for every test match, um, but he's a very he's a he's a very worthy and admirable person, uh, Pat Cummins, and um, he's popular uh, in in all quarters. And um, 
uh, uncontroversial. Uh, he would really be a unifying figure and an admired figure. And look, we, we thought wicketkeepers couldn't do captaincy either. And Rod Marsh um, was, was never Australian captain um, in part because of this thing about uh, wicketkeepers not being able to do both jobs. Tim Payne has shown um, that a wicketkeeper can uh, handle the job um, and, and keep his playing standards up. So, um, Amazoni did that for a long time. And of course, Donny, you know, Donny, Donny um, was astonishing. So, um, uh, those prejudices can be broken down. Pat Cummins is a very credible candidate as captain. Um, I think looking a couple more years down the track after Payne has retired, um, Scary is the type of um, character who would, um, I think, be a very, very good Australian captain. He's quite a few years younger um, than, uh, than Smith and Payne. Um, so, you know, it's possible if Tim Payne can keep going for another couple of years, it's possible that the, the Steve Smith question won't even arise and we'll be, we'll be on to the next generation. Sure. All right. So we're approaching the hour mark here. Uh, let's wrap this up. A couple more questions. So where do you see the future of the game headed? It's going to be, there's always conversation, especially from the Indian board point of view. I hear a lot of discussion that uh, IPL, and T20, the revenue, that's where it's coming from. It subsidizes the long format. Do you see the one-day game to be a casualty? Because the powers will always try to keep the test cricket there, maybe at least between India, England, and Australia. And then it'll be T20 leagues all over the world. Where do you see the next 10 years cricket? And secondly, uh, how much of pink ball cricket is here as part of the future, if you want to talk about the long version as well, which is test matches? The biggest threat for international cricket is the um, drop away in the performance of the second ranked countries, if you like. Um, 20 years ago, we had a really good depth of um, competitive cricket from probably six or seven uh, different nations um, uh, able to compete on terms with each other. Um, now, the the drop in um, performance of teams such as the West Indies, uh, Pakistan, um, South Africa, even even New Zealand when they came to Australia last year, they were quite poor, um, uh, gives the idea of a, um, a two-tier international system where you have India, Australia and England virtually in a league amongst themselves and then the rest making up the numbers. Um, this is exacerbated by the kind of winner-take-all economics we talked about before, where advertisers and broadcasters are all, you know, very willing to throw a lot into something involving India, England, and Australia, and and being pretty um, uh, ambivalent about series involving the other countries. So, the biggest challenge for cricket. Um, leaving aside the whole 2020 revolution, the biggest challenge is to get the standard of first-class cricket um, in those um, uh, teams, countries that are ranked from four to eight, uh, to get it up to where they're, they're competitive with the top three. Um, on the pink ball tests and the, um, uh, the advent of day-night test cricket, 
it's one of those things where, look, I, as a, as a purist, I was never very comfortable with it when it started. Um, but you do have to accept that some things have a kind of a um, historical inevitability about them. And uh, the fans and the um, telecasters were always going to be behind um, evening test cricket because they could watch more of it and it was more fun and 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 fair enough um and over the last few years um as the pink ball tests have um taken hold in australia i think there has been a gradual acceptance um and an adaptation to the um the interesting new um uh um, elements of test cricket that this form has introduced so um India are now on board with it, uh, uh, playing a pink ball test in Australia, and that is to be welcomed. Uh, absolutely. That's a, <clears throat> that's a sign of the future. So let's wrap this up by a little bit on the BBL. So how how is that progressing? And you think that could be the pipeline of, you know, world-class Australian T20 players? And secondly, what can it learn from, say, like an IPL, which is flourishing uh, after yeah. 13 years in existence? So... If you want to speak a little bit about yeah. the comparison um, and what it can do to Australian cricket, at least in the it, white ball format. It probably is producing um, greater uh, skill and innovation among those cricketers who are dedicating themselves to the 2020 format. Um, the BBL is struggling as a spectacle in Australia. Uh, uh, principally because they uh, the competition is not able to attract the star power that it was in its first couple of years um, and when you look at the IPL and we get we get the IPL on television here it's um, you know you're, you're watching the best of the best and it's quite exciting to see Ben Stokes and AB de Villiers um, and uh, Jofra Archer and um, Steve Smith um, playing in the same teams as people like Derek Coley um, and Jasper Boomer. Um, so the the IPL is managing to, I think, make all these other 2020 leagues look a bit second rate um, uh, by comparison. And the BBL in Australia has had pretty um, a pretty swift decline in um, viewership and other uh, crowd attendances and other um, forms, of, uh, you know, measures of its popularity. And that is, it's very obviously because the standard of cricketers playing in it um, is just not exciting enough to, to draw people in. Um, so, you know, you do see at one end of the scale, you see people like, Glenn Maxwell improving their T20 games and, and offering great entertainment, um, but they're playing, you know, on a field with a, a few sort of no-name internationals and quite a few no-name locals. Uh, it's um, uh, it's it's not thriving. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's definitely not the way. And some, I mean, I'm sure the powers to be who make the decisions have to sit down at some point. Each country seems to have their own T20 league. And of course, uh, the the measuring standard is on the IPL. And like you said, the star power is missing across the globe, but the IPL. So maybe a few of these leagues should collaborate together. I don't know, maybe that's food for thought. But uh, yeah, I think yeah. 
Yeah, I'd like to see that. In, in Australia, it's just a matter of, um, I think the broadcasters are trying to squeeze a, a last few drops out of this lemon that was a, a surprising success for them for a few years. Nobody anticipated it being so successful. And then the minute they they were aware of how successful it was, um, it, it, it began to drop off pretty quickly. And now, yeah, they're, they're just squeezing it. It's way too long. Um, the season should be shorter. And as you say, if there, if there are means of um, combining resources uh, across countries to provide a higher um, level of competition and just more interesting names playing the game, uh, then that is something to look at. Yeah. So on that note, I think I should thank you for uh, sparing so much time on a Sunday morning in Australia. I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I'm sure the listenership would look forward to what you have to say. And hopefully we can have you back on the show one day. <laughs> thank you, Sakib. I've enjoyed it too.